the rawness in my throat and croaked, What are you doing here? Time to take it back, kiddo. What? Your life. October. Hecate. Hecate completes the goddess triad of the maiden, Persephone, the mother, Demeter, and the wise woman, Hecate. She walks between the seen and unseen world, but resides in neither, carrying a flaming torch so she can see where others can't, into the human psyche. She is accompanied by her dog, or horse, her sacred animals, and offers her magical protection in times of danger. If you have that sense of foreboding sitting in your solar plexus, it may be that you are standing at a crossroad and are unsure about where you need to go next. Rest assured that Hecate is walking alongside you, carrying her torch with which to guide you. www.goddess.com.au Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is strong as death, jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. Song of Solomon, Chapter 8, Verses 6 through 7. Chapter 1 Roberta. Sunday, October 25th, 2000. Dear Harriet, my hands are shaky as the leaves on the trees today. I hope you can read this all right. I hate seeing that I've got old lady handwriting. But then it stands to reason, doesn't it? How'd we get so old? It's Sunday, and I ain't been to church. I've been sitting here all morning by my Edgar, trying to get enough courage up to let him go. I sent everybody away, all the parishioners who've been bringing greens and pots of stew and washing up my dishes while I sit with him. Sent even the children away. They can all come back later, when I've gone and done what I need to do. Sister, I've been here all morning, and I can't open up my mouth to say it. Go on, Edgar. I'll be all right. He's just waiting for that, because when he fell into this coma, I grabbed his old hand and begged him not to leave me. And he's such a good man. He's holding on. There, now, I'm crying again. I've been holding his hand for sixty-two years. This morning I was holding it, and remembering that morning he first came to our back door asking for a drink of water, remember? He'd been down on his luck, but he was so proud. He looked so good in the sunshine with his pretty head and that strong old nose. My heart flipped clean over, and I wasn't but fifteen. I've had no use for any other man since that day. I've been remembering all of it this morning, wondering how it would have been if we'd stayed back there in Mississippi with all y'all, wondering what it was he saw in Italy that made him never talk about it his whole life long, wondering if we'd have had as good a life if we hadn't come west to Pueblo, where we've been so peaceful. Home of the heroes. Did you know they call it that nowadays? fitting. Edgar put away all his medals, but he was sure proud when the Medal of Honor winners all came here. 
He put on his best suit that morning and went down to listen to them, all four old men like him. I went along with him, of course, but I didn't hear what he did. I asked him one time if it was so bad as all that, and he just bowed his head and said, Worse. So I just let it be. And he's not a perfect man, not by any means. He was too stern with the children, fussy about things as he got old, wanting every little thing his way. We had our share of dark times, too, times when I wanted to take a meat cleaver to his stubborn old head. Once or twice he hurt my heart, but he never did it on purpose. It's not those times I'm thinking of now, though. I'm remembering how hard we could laugh, so much that Edgar would get to wheezing. I'm thinking about waking up morning after morning after morning with him lying beside me, listening to him whistle as he fiddled with the television, dead but for the magic he gave it with his clever mind. Lord, give me strength. I have got to let him go. He's withering away right in front of my eyes, but I'm telling you the truth, sister. I'm going, too. I asked the Lord to take me. Y'all know I love you, but you, sister, know my life won't be nothing without him. Your sister, Verda. Mother, the moon is dancing in the courtyard of the dead. Dance of the Moon in Santiago. Federico Garcia Lorca. Chapter 2 Trudy When Edgar dies, I'm next door in my house, reading Lorca, with my hands over my ears so I don't have to hear the wind. It's only because I have to take them down to turn the page that I hear Roberta's cry, that piercing wail that can only be called keening. It's been a long day, waiting for this, because I wanted to be here when the moment arrived, I didn't go to the movies or out to the mall to distract myself from my own troubles. Roberta's granddaughter, Jade, is on her way to Pueblo from California, but she isn't here yet, and Roberta sent everybody else away. When the moment comes, she'll need someone, so I've waited. Trying to keep warm, I'm wearing a T-shirt, a cotton sweater, and a wool one, two pairs of socks, and jeans, and I'm still cold. It's like Rick was my furnace, and without him I'm turning into an icicle. And the wind is driving me crazy. People often tell me how much they love the wind. I've sat with my mouth open while friends from elsewhere, they are always from somewhere else, rhapsodize about the winds they know, and I can tell that they're thinking of an entirely different entity, a green goddess trailing her veils over the beach or through the forest. They love wind that comes with moisture and beauty. In Pueblo, our winds are of the Inquisition variety. Winds that know that the secret of torture is to begin and end, to be inconstant and constant at once, to bellow and to whisper endlessly. This year, it's been even worse than usual. Every morning it gathers dusting and stopping blasting and quitting. All day it bangs on the windows and blusters around the car and buffets the trees and tears at the shrubs. Boxes blown from who knows where skitter down the street. There is no surface without grit. Static electricity can knock you down. I play music loudly to drown it out, put a pillow over my head at night. But not today. I have to listen for Roberta. For lunch, I pour some condensed chicken and star soup into a pot, 
and put the kettle on for tea, huddling next to the burners with my hands tucked under my armpits. The tea is indifferent, the soup, the last can on the shelf. I was lucky to find that much worth consuming, really, since I keep forgetting to go to the grocery store. Right now, when I'm hungry for something better than the cupboards have to offer, I look around for my list so I can write good tea bags on there, but it's gone missing, again. I can't keep track of anything lately. I used to spend at least two hours a week planning menus and shopping for my crew of five. Now it's only me and my seventeen-year-old Annie, but more often than not she eats at school or at a restaurant job or with her boyfriend Travis. As long as I keep milk and cereal and frozen pizzas around, she's covered. I keep forgetting that it might be good for me to cook for myself. Nobody ever liked the same foods I do, my roasted veggie dishes and exotic soups. Time to indulge. On my list, I write garlic, marinated pepper strips, lemon juice, whole pepper, frozen quiches, cheddar, the good one, triscuits. I won't forget the single-serving cans of tuna, which have been the mainstay of my diet lately. It's easy, and at least the cats get enthusiastic when they hear me pop the lid. I always pour the water off into a bowl for them. They are immensely grateful, and I can glow over it for a good five minutes, standing at the counter eating out of the can. I know, I know, cats, tuna. This has all the earmarks of a bad end. The kettle whistles, and I pour water into my cup. Think maybe I'm just getting old. Bones thinning along with my skin, muscles withering away to nothing. I think of my granny wizened down to broomstick size and pull my sweater tighter around my torso. Not old, not old, not old. Not at forty-six. Forty-six is young these days, or at least just beyond the cusp of middle age.